Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. The question from last week is what do you believe? There's no middle ground. Either you are alive in him or you are dead in your sin. You are either experiencing salvation or you are living the consequences of your sin. There's no middle ground. There is a chasm that must be crossed from sin to salvation. And the only way to cross that bridge is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The question from last week is what do you believe? The question this week is what are you going to do? I want to welcome all of you joining from all of our different locations. Those of you who are part of our online family, those of you who are part of the Crossing Inside, we're thankful we get the opportunity to hang out with you today. If you're like me and you're excited to be at church, let me hear a little whoop whoop. I got up early this morning and I could not wait to be able to spend part of my day with each and every single one of you. And I'm hoping at the very end of this message that you will have a very clear uh, direction on what are you going to do. Those closest to Jesus had experienced quite a bit. I mean, they, on Sunday, they had experienced the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. On Thursday, they had a meal with him and he washed their feet. And later that night, he, they went with Jesus as he went to the garden to pray. They were there when Jesus was arrested, and it was that night that they slowly began to desert him. By Friday morning, uh, Jesus was pretty much alone. Most of them had left, but they could still hear the crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, They experienced the sky growing dark. They felt the earthquake underneath their feet. They experienced the silence of Saturday as they came to grips with the fact that their friend, their leader, was dead. And then on Sunday, their hopes were slowly rekindled as Jesus began appearing to them very much alive. And over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to over 500 people and they were beyond elated. They would finally get to accomplish all of the things that they have ever wanted to accomplish. They were finally in a position where they had a leader who could walk on water, heal the sick, feed the thousands, raise the dead, and had himself been raised from the dead. They now had a leader that even if you kill him, it couldn't stop him because he could come back from the dead. And eventually they ask the question that has been burning in their hearts. We find it in Acts chapter one, verse six. Look at what it says. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? For years, They had wanted to throw off their earthly oppressors. They wanted to secure their borders, get the wicked government out of their pockets and set up a kingdom to set up the very kingdom that they had lost centuries before. For the last three years, they kept wondering if this Jesus was going to be the leader of this revolution, if he was the chosen one to make all of their dreams come true. 
We can't get too hard on these guys for asking that question because if you were to look closely at them, I'll be honest, you'll see a little bit of me in them. If you look a little bit harder, you might see a little bit of you. They were coming to Jesus and they were wanting Jesus to do the things that they wanted. They were coming to Jesus and they were wanting Jesus to build the kingdom that they wanted. We want Jesus to fulfill our dreams. We want Jesus to help us accomplish our goals. We want Jesus to help us fulfill our ambitions. We keep wanting Jesus to be on our side. Instead of positioning our lives to be on his side. It reminds me of Joshua. You can read about this in a book named after him. Uh, right after Moses had led the people out of Egypt, they've been wandering in the desert. Moses has died. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to have to take on a city named Jericho. It's full of their enemies. It's got tall walls. There's no way to get through. Joshua's going to have to figure out how do I lead these people, take over Jericho. And he sees a man standing with his sword drawn. And Joshua asked this very reasonable question. Are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord replied, I am commander of the Lord's army. That was his answer. I'm not on your side. I'm not on your enemy's side. I'm on the side of God. Now that's not all bad news for Joshua because Joshua could be on the side of the angel that he had just come into contact with. All he had to do was be on the side of God. You and I have that same choice right in front of us. We can spend all of our time and energy trying to get God to be on our side, and just so you know, won't work. Or we could take our puny lives, and we could turn them over and let them be on God's side to fulfill his dreams, his goals, his aspirations. Our prayers betray us because we are continually trying to fit God into our life instead of fitting our lives into God's plan. I mean, tell me, how many of you, you pray prayers for your problems? You pray prayers for your challenges? You pray prayers for your family. How many of you, you pray those kind of prayers? Raise your hand. You should. This isn't a get you question. Thank you for being a praying church at all of our locations. Hope there were hands raised. Yeah, those are fine prayers. Those aren't bad prayers. You're told to even pray those prayers. But there's other prayers we could pray. Prayers like, God, uh, use me to build your kingdom. God, help me to make you famous. God, use me to accomplish your mission. You see the difference? Is one is us going, God, I wanna be on your side. Look at what happens right after they ask uh, this question. This is what Jesus replies in Acts chapter one, verses seven through 11. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're gonna come back to that verse in a little bit. 
after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, these are angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Dumb question, these are angels. They should have known better. We just saw a guy levitate into heaven. That's, that, that didn't happen. We haven't seen that before. That's why we're still looking up there. Then he says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. There is a ton inside of these uh, verses. Let's start unpacking them. The first thing is he tells them it's not their place to know the times or dates when he's coming back. People have sold a lot of books, made a lot of money, built a lot of buildings, ask ORU about how Jesus is gonna come back and when. There have been lots of books, and let me just save you the 1999 uh, on the next book. They don't know either. That's not your job. The job of a, of a good Christian is not to know when Jesus is coming back. It's to be ready for when he does. That's our job. Our job is to be faithful until his return. We're more concerned with being ready. Because I'll be honest with you, while Jesus might not come back tomorrow, people we love and care about will meet him tomorrow. Happens every day, happens every week. You know why sometimes we're so fascinated with when he's coming back? It's because we don't wanna get serious until he's on his way. My, you've, I've told these stories, my dad uh, would leave on a note card on the fridge all the chores that I had to get done before my dad got home from work. This was back when, it's like way back when, when parents expected kids to work. And um, <laughs> there would be a list and we have this long gravel road and I would be watching TV and I would see the dust coming off the car and that was my cue to get up and go look at the card. And oftentimes I would realize that there are more things to accomplish on the card than there is time from the moment I saw the dust cloud to the time he comes in to the house. How many of us, we're waiting for the dust cloud before we get serious about Jesus. A delayed faith is a deficient faith. A faith that's not good for you today is of no value to you tomorrow. If God is worth it, he's worth it now. If God's really good, we should serve him now. We should be fully invested in him now, not Hey, when I find out he's on his way, then I'll get really serious about my faith. What does that tell you about Jesus? What does that tell you about what you think and what you believe about him? How do we handle that? They're looking intently up in the sky. They see Jesus going into heaven. They don't even recognize the angels standing next to him. And the angels ask, why are you standing here looking into the sky? Jesus will come back in the same way you saw him leave. This is a promise for us that there will be a time. We will not be separated from Jesus forever. He will come back in a visible form, in bodily form, and we will get to be with him. So what do we do between now and then? Maybe the question you're asking is like, what is Jesus doing now? And why did he leave in the first place? It would have been nice if he had just hung around. So what is he doing and why did he leave? 
Those are fair questions. Let's talk about it. So why did he leave? What is he doing? Well, the Bible tells us that uh, there's a lot of things he's doing, but here's one of them. He's left to prepare a place for you. That's what it says in John chapter 14, verse one through three. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He is right now preparing a place for you. Have you ever invited people over that you haven't seen in a while and you prepared the place for them? You found out that your parents or a friend from high school or college is coming into town and you invited them to stay at your place and you go up to the room and you, you, cl you clean it up, you put new sheets on the bed, you flip on the lights and you realize that some of the light bulbs are out and so you take those out and you put new ones in. You try to make it look like your fancy people before your friends show up and you get the whole place set up. You're preparing a place for them. You invite a bunch of people over for dinner and you find out who is all coming and you plan the meal accordingly and you cook all the food. You prepare a place he is for you. He is making a place for you. And there's nothing quite like preparing the room and then getting the call that they're not coming. There's nothing like making the meal for 12 and only four show up. Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us. And I have to think he's preparing a place for the people that you love, you care about. I don't want there to be any empty rooms in heaven. And I don't think you do either. I don't want there to be any empty seats at the table in heaven, and I don't think you do either. What else is Jesus doing? He's not just preparing a place for you. The Bible says he is interceding and advocating for you. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 24 says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him through, or to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Question, you guys know the answer to this. You'll be fine. Does God sleep? No, you guys can say, you can talk back to me. It's fine today. Um, does Jesus sleep? No, that means that Jesus is constantly 24 hours a day interceding to God on your behalf. When you were sleeping today, before your alarm went off, Jesus was interceding for you. After you had hit the snooze for the third time, Jesus was like, turn that alarm off, but he was still interceding for you. When you're eating your Fruit Loops in the morning or going through and getting a bacon, egg, and cheese bagel, he is in the process of interceding on your behalf. When you are dealing with a challenging boss, he is interceding for you. When you're navigating challenges with difficult employees, he is interceding for you. When you lose your job, he is interceding for you. When you get promoted, he is interceding for you. When you experience the joy of having kids, he is interceding for you. When you go through the unbearable tragedy of losing a kid, he is interceding 
for you when you have great times with your teenagers. He's interceding for you when you wish you didn't have teenagers. He is interceding for you. When you, are, when you run into hard times, he is interceding for you. And when you are tempted to sin, Jesus, 24 hours a day, nonstop, is interceding for you. He's not just interceding for you. He's advocating for you. First John chapter two says this, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, which the rest of us are like, Phew. how many of you, you've sinned? Okay, if you haven't raised your hand, go ahead and raise it now because you're in the group with the rest of us. But if anybody does sin, that's us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We're gonna circle back to this last part in just a little bit. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When you sin, he advocates. When you get in trouble, he advocates. When you find yourself doing the things that you never wanted to do, he's advocating for you. You're trying to do everything right. You're trying to live the perfect life. You're getting up early. You're reading your Bible. You're praying prayers. You're going to church. You're serving. You're doing all of these great things. And then you stub your toe on the edge of the, of the, of the cabinets in your house. And in, in a, a non-Jesus word, slowly cyclones its way up through your diaphragm into your vocal cords and releases itself in your house. And because of the strength of you, you, you kept it quiet. <sighs> and even though it only came out as a whisper, your kids heard it. They didn't hear you when you said, go to your room, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, put the iPad down, put your clothes back on, get in bed. They didn't hear any of that stuff, but they heard the, oh. Jesus is advocating for you. This is how I see it playing out. The Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's up there, and here's God. And the word that I shouldn't have said gets said. And that sin makes its way up in front of God. Jesus is sitting there next to the Father. God's like, Jesus, you see that? Jesus is like, yeah. And then Jesus goes, but God, do you see this? Do you see this? Let's call it even. And God says, that's a deal. He's advocating for you. Why else did he leave? Well, he didn't leave us alone. John tells us in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse seven, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When Jesus was on earth, he was limited in his bodily form. He was in one place at one time at any given moment in time. But the Holy Spirit is in the life of every believer at every moment, wherever they are at any moment. And this Holy Spirit that he leaves in us is a teacher. 
He's a reminder, he's a convictor. Have you ever been in a spot where you all of a sudden remember something that you heard in church? That wasn't you, that was the Holy Spirit reminding you. All of a sudden you find yourself just remembering a verse that you read in the Bible and you're not even that good at memorizing things. That was the Holy Spirit reminding you. When you're getting ready to do something that you know you shouldn't do and you had that check in your spirit that I probably shouldn't do that, that was the Holy Spirit convicting you. The Bible also tells us that he's a source of revelation and wisdom, that he guides us and that he is a gift giver, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, that even when we are in a situation where we don't even know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with words that we cannot express and takes them to the Father on our behalf, and that he produces fruit in the life of the believer and for inside of those in whom he dwells that when you and I come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we have the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life, he begins producing fruit in us. All those gifts, because Jesus went away. That right now you have somebody interceding for you, advocating for you, praying over you, growing you, producing fruit in you. So what do we do now? What do we do? What do we do while we wait? What are you and I supposed to do until Jesus comes back? Well, Jesus left us with a mission and he left us with uh, a message. Let's revisit Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you, you, Macomb, you, Monmouth, you, Mount Sterling, you, Hannibal, you, Lima, you, like you. Turn to your neighbor real quick, point at him. You, yeah. This sermon is for, point at him again. You, who will receive? You will receive power. This is the word we get dynamite from, dunamis. You will receive explosive power. Who? You. You will receive explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my uh, witnesses. You'll be my, you will be my testimony. The word there is actually martyr. Why? Because Christians would testify about what they saw. And sometimes because of the testimony of what they saw, they would be put to death. And they wouldn't change their testimony because what they had seen was, more, was so real, too valuable too precious, that they would rather surrender their life than change their message. And Jesus says, you will be my martyrs. You will be my eyewitnesses. You will be my testimony. Where? Well, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And corporately, uh, we get to be a part of this. I did an exercise this week. I thought it was actually really cool. Uh, if you're a part of the crossing, you participate in what God's doing here. Um, the ministry of the crossing uh, happens all over the place. In fact, the sun never sets or sets on the ministry of the crossing. Never. When you are sleeping, the money that you give to God through this church is at work all over the globe. When, you know, when the sun is down in uh, Kirksville, 
uh, in Myanmar, it's still going. And in Cambodia, and in India, and in uh, Ecuador, and in Uganda. Like the sun never sets on the ministry that God is doing at the crossing. And we get to be a part of that. In fact, in the life of every believer, there should be a little Jerusalem, and a little bit of Judea, and a little bit of Samaria. We'll get back to this one in a second. And to the ends of the earth. Uh, here's what it means is that when you come to Jesus, like your home, like you should be a witness for Jesus in your home and in your community and in your state and, or your nation and or around the world. That it's like throwing a rock into the water. There's these ripples. It starts with you and it moves its way out. And a lot of us, uh, we would rather not have to be a witness for Jesus here. We would rather go all the way over to be uh, to the ends of the earth. Sometimes we treat Jesus like a Speedo. Um, Jennifer and I went on vacation, and this has happened multiple times in my life, I don't know why, but people will give me like a gag gift, and it's uh, a Speedo. And we were on vacation, and I decided that this would be fun. And so we're getting ready to go out to the beach, and I'm dressed, and you know, and she's got you know all the stuff that women put on. She has like that long dress and whatever. And so she goes out, and then I'm like, oh, I forgot something. And I go back in the hotel room, and I slip on the speedo. And so then I come back out, and I come down the stairs. And uh, well, yeah, it's not good. It's not good at all. Now, can I can I can I can I be honest with you? Do you know why I would wear a speedo in Mexico? because I don't know anybody, <laughs> that's why. Because I, I'm not having to look at my banker, I'm not having to look at my neighbor, I'm not having to look at you. Like, I don't know any of these people, they don't know me. Hey brother, we are the same. Like, I, there's nothing, nothing, okay? Now here's the problem. What if you invited me over to your house to swim today? And I showed up in a Speedo. Yeah, that'd be different. Be like, whoa. Like you invite me over, you know, to hang out at the country club, to swim in the pool with the rich people. I'm like, okay. And I show them, hey, my name's Jerry. How are you? Like, I, can you imagine, can, can you imagine what that would be like? Right, right. I get it. I get it. Here's the thing. You just stay with me. We're not going to wear it in our hometown but we'd wear it when nobody knows us and nobody cares. And I've seen people go on mission trips and come out of their shell and talk to people about Jesus and witness about Jesus and pray for people. But in their home, in their neighborhood, in their workplace, it's crickets. And I don't just see it in other people, I see it in me too. Sometimes we treat Jesus like a Speedo. He wants it to be in your home, he wants it to start here and we're like, yeah, that's cool, okay, fine, yeah. And then he's like, let's talk about Jerusalem, I, I like that idea, and, uh, and, and then let's talk about Judea, I like that idea, and then he says Samaria, and I gotta think, you, the disciples had to be going, come on, man. Samaria? Jesus, I like Jerusalem. I like Judea. I like the ends of the earth. I just don't like 
just don't like Samaria. When Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, the tensions between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans was at an all-time high. Uh, a good Jew would go around Samaria so they didn't even have to put their feet in Samaritan dust. That's why when Jesus shows up with the woman at the well in Samaria, it is such a big deal. Jesus says, Samaria. Samaria is the people that you don't like. Samaria is the people you don't wanna to have to talk to. Do you have a Samaria? Jesus, I'll talk to anybody about Jesus, just don't, just don't make it a Democrat. I'll talk, Jesus, I'll talk to anybody about Jesus, just please don't make it a Republican. I'll talk to anybody about Jesus, just not my boss. I'll talk to anybody about Jesus, just not that person I work with that stinks. Jesus, I will, I will live for you in my home. I'll pray three times a day and I'll do, be really good on my street. Don't make me talk to my ex. Don't make me talk to the father of my kid. Who's in your Samaria? Deep down inside, even though we don't wanna to witness to the people in our Samaria, we wanna be a church that does. You wanna know why? Because I was in somebody's Samaria. I'm guessing you live in somebody's Samaria. And I think we wanna be a part of a church that reaches people who live in Samaria. He left us with a mission, not just for Jerusalem and not just for Judea and not just to the ends of the earth. He, he left us with the mission to be a church for the people in our Samaria. It's interesting, we see this happening, we just don't know how to handle it, where sitting across the table from somebody has become an endorsement instead of sitting across the table from somebody being reaching people a pastor of a pretty large church had received the honor of being invited into the White House to spend some time with the president. I'm not gonna tell you which president. The illustration actually works better if you think it's the one that you don't want it to be. <laughs> and he had the opportunity to take a picture with the president and, and you know, post it, you know, how cool would that be? You're in the Oval Office with the president. And he chose not to because he was going, I don't think my church could handle me being in the office with that particular president. Whichever one you're thinking, it might be the wrong one. Just roll with me. Question, who's the person you'd get upset with Jerry and I sitting across the table from? Uh, your campus pastor. Is that exposing your Samaria? Don't you wanna be a part of a church that sits across the table from people and reaches those who we don't agree with, who loves people that don't know God yet, who's in your Samaria? This is our mission, but what is our message? Well, our message is in John chapter 14, verses five and six. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's be honest here. We like the first half of verse six. We don't like the last half. We like the, I am the way and the truth and the life. We're like, yes, Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. But we don't like the last half. And no one 
comes to the Father except through me. If you're to be honest, probably in the back of some of your heads right now, you're going, Jesus, I'll be honest with you, I don't like that. It sounds a little bigoted. It sounds a little narrow-minded. It sounds a little exclusive. That you're the only way to the Father? How do, you, how do we navigate that? Here's how I navigate, navigate that. Uh, we just acknowledge what, what there is about Jesus that separates him from everybody else. Uh, insert the word who. Jesus is the only one who, at all of our locations, say who. Who. Jesus is the only one is still alive. Uh, Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Confucius, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Jesus is the only one is still alive. We're just acknowledging the facts. Jesus is the only one. You can visit all of their graves. They're still there, but the Jesus's grave remains empty, and it's the only one that remains empty. You see, Jesus is the only one who started in heaven. He's the only one who created the world. He's the only one who came to earth and lived a sinless and perfect life. He's the only one who walked on water, who fed the thousands, who brought divine healing, who forgave his enemies, who prayed for his persecutors, who understands my pain, who sympathizes with my struggles, who makes the way to the Father, who died in my place, who suffered for my sin. Jesus is the only one reached out to me when others passed me by. Jesus is the only one, redeemed my past, lives in me presently, purposed my future, ascended into heaven, and the only one who is seated at the right hand, who is encircled by angels, who is preparing a place for me, who is advocating for me, interceding for me, and never taking his eyes off of me. He's the only one who that's who he is and we have a glorious message to share and it would be a shame for us to hold it in but how do we do it he says and you will be my witnesses when the holy spirit comes on you and here's what we want to have happen this explosive power we want to like hulk out before we have to step out that this moment's gonna come up and we're gonna get super strong in the Lord and then we're gonna step into the ferocious battle for him. But that is not how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. The way the Holy Spirit comes on you with power is when you step out is when he shows up. Remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples? He says, and don't worry about what you're gonna have to say. For when the moment comes, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. That you don't get to prepare your thoughts about how you're gonna witness to your friend before you talk to your friend. It's when you have the courage and the faith and the belief that Jesus is the only one who, that you step into the conversation and the Holy Spirit gives you the words. We wanna think that he's just gonna come on us and we're gonna have unbelievable clarity and we're gonna, then we're gonna go out and do all of these things. Nope, it's when you make the commitment in faith to step out and do the things of God that you will receive the power of God. So the question I have for you is what are you gonna do?
we're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.